My coordinates seem to have slipped a little. Still not bad after 29,000 light years. I do hope you can uh, <laughs> spare a moment or two, Doctor. Sarcasm always was a weak point with you, wasn't it? May I say that I think you look quite ridiculous in those clothes? I am travelling incognito. Oh, why? We Time Lords don't care to be conspicuous. Some of us, that is. Now, look, if you've come down here merely to be rude... I came to warn you. An old acquaintance has arrived on this planet. Huh? One of our people? The Master. That jackanapes, all he ever does is cause trouble. He'll certainly try to kill you, Doctor. The Tribunal thought that you ought to be made aware of your danger. How very kind of them. You are incorrigibly meddlesome, Doctor, but we've always felt that your hearts are in the right places. But be careful. The Master has learnt a great deal since you last met him. I refuse to be worried by a renegade like the Master. He's a... he's an unimaginative plodder. His degree in cosmic science was of a higher class than yours? Yes, well, uh... <clears throat> yes, well, I, I was a late developer. Welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always, I am joined with... Hello, it's Scott. Hello, Scott. This week, we are continuing our, I don't know, drive, I guess, through every Doctor chronologically, and we are arriving at John Pertwee, and we decided this this month, I guess, because we're looking at it basically taking us a month to get through everybody, although it's only the first two weeks of March. We're going to be with Pertwee. Uh, we are looking at Terror of the Autons, part one and two this week, uh, which is the first episode with the Master in it. And boy, is it certainly a story in Doctor Who. Terror of the Autons is definitely a thing that happens. We'll get into it in a bit. But first, this episode first aired on the 2nd of January, 1971, which was a Saturday and a staggering 52 years, one month and 22 days ago at the time of recording. I, the US president was... Oh? I remember it well that day. So good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a rainy day, if I, if I remember correctly. <laughs> it's always uh, a rainy the U- day. <laughs> <laughs> The U.S. president was Richard Nixon, and the U.K. prime minister was one Edward Heath. His name comes up all the time recently. Uh, could you guess, and again, I would be amazed if you could, what the number one movie at the box office was on this day? I can I can tell you I only have the U.S. number one, so you're going to have to think, like, America. It's not a film I've ever heard of either, okay. so best of luck. So if it's not a film you've heard of, it's probably not a film I've heard of. Any hints? Um, Tommy Lee Jones is in it. Tommy Lee. Men in Black. How <laughs> 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 uh, close? No, of course. You're, yeah, you're, you're bang on. It was, in fact, Love Story. Good guess. Uh, Love Story is a 1970 American romantic drama film ri- written by Eric Segal, uh, who was also the author of the best-selling 1970 novel of the same name. A book and the movie came out in the same year. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, it was produced by Howard G. Minsky and directed by Arthur Hiller and starred Ali McCraw and Ryan O'Neill alongside John Marley, Ray Milland, and Tommy Lee Jones in his film debut in a very minor role, apparently. So the first time that Tommy Lee Jones is 
ever on screen as in this movie. Um, I wonder if he looked like an old man in that as well. Probably did. Uh, he's, fil- he's always looks like an old man. <laughs> he's, 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 just, he's always been old, yeah. Uh, the film is considered one of the most romantic films ever by the American Film Institute, coming in number nine on the list, and is one of the highest grossing films of all time when adjusted for inflation. The basic plot is a regular like rom-com, like two people fall in love, but life gets in the way type deal. Um, it, it's not the type of movie that really appeals to me in any way, shape, or form, but cool. I'm glad it's super romantic and did a lot and made lots of money. That's cool. <laughs> it better be fucking romantic if it's called a love story. <laughs> yeah, and it's considered to be one of the most romantic films ever made. Like, uh, that's would... some big boots. Yeah. Right. I bet you part of that is just because it's called a love story, and people are like, "Yeah, this like, is gonna yeah. be a love story." <laughs> Yeah, and you know, like 1970, movies had just been invented, so <laughs> it was really easy to make easy easy to make uh, rom coms back then. Uh, nothing absolutely zilch of interest happened on this day in history, but if we look back uh, across time, we can find that on the second of January in 1959, the USSR launches the Luna One spacecraft which is the first object to leave Earth's gravity, reaching the vicinity of the moon and to be placed into a helocentric orbit, which is cool as fuck. I love the space race. It was great. Uh, in 1960, Senator John F. Kennedy announces his candidacy for the U.S. presidency. I wonder what ever happened to that guy. Uh, then, in 1969, the Beatles begin rehearsals while being filmed for the Let It Be project at Twickenham Film Studios, London. Uh, Let It Be, obviously, in 1969, was getting filmed by um, Peter Jackson. Um, did you watch that on Disney Plus? The Let It Be uh, documentary about the Beatles? It took you a while to deliver that joke because you couldn't think of the name. Um, no, I haven't actually. It's it's really long, and I just haven't had the time to look at it. And every time it is, it is, it is extremely long. It's like three episodes, and each episode's like three and a half hours. But I watched, I took, I watched each episode in two parts. So for me, it was a six episode show, and I, f- I loved it. I don't even care that much about the Beatles, and I absolutely adored it. I thought it was superb. It was so so amazing to just sit and watch wait a minute are you telling me that peter jackson made some really long things (laughs) yeah yeah he made really long really really long uh movie uh and he did and you know he does the thing that he does all the time now which is find old footage and remaster it for like no reason other than he just likes to do it Uh, apparently his apparently his uh world war ii what was it called again? The they, they shall never grow uh, they old. Will be, yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, that's really good. It's great. Well. It is. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. It's super, superb. Yeah, uh, really, really worth watching that, and also let it be very similar in tone. Uh, in 2018, <laughs> who reveals it will classify gaming addiction as a mental health condition in its next classification of diseases? Uh, this is a disease that apparently I have definitely got. Um, I I don't I, I guess I, I don't know how I feel about gaming addiction being classified as a genuine mental health condition. It's a messy subject, you yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, if you're playing like if you're playing video games like 24 hours a day and it it actively yeah. this uh, actively causes you not to go out and get a job or something like that. Then I guess it's a di- an addiction, you know. But I don't know if that's I don't know if that's the video game doing it or if it's just the fact that you are depressed and the I video mean, game is giving you dopamine. 
Yeah, you know? I mean, you could replace video games with a book or movies or yeah. TV, and it's all the same, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think the video game itself is addicting. Like, you know, it do, like nicotine actively produces a chemical in your brain that is addicting. Video yeah. games don't really do that. I guess dopamine is kind of addicting, but then you'll be like, hey, running, dude, that's a mental health problem. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah, it's 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 kind of messy. I, I'm not sure if I fully agree with it, but I haven't done enough research to really argue any points against it other than I play a lot of video games. So what are you going to do? Uh, that's all I've got for the on this day section. Scott, nice and brief. I've actually, uh, kind, what, I've actually kind of got something. You know? Don't step on my don't step <laughs> on my segment, you bitch. <laughs> um, very nearly forty nine years after this episode, Sasha Dewan is revealed as a master in Doctor Who. Oh wow! wow. So it's, this uh, obviously Terror of the Autons started on the second of January. Uh, Spyfall Part One aired on the first of January, twenty twenty. So yeah, it's a wild coincidence. <laughs> That is no. It was planned from the start when they were writing this episode. <laughs> it was it was their long term plan, their long term vision. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's cool. That's a cool bit of Doctor Who trivia for sure. Uh, why don't you take us into the writers' corner for this Wait. episode, Scott? Yeah, Terror of the Autons is obviously uh, the very start of season eight of Doctor Who. A mere two hundred and seventy nine episodes into the show's run. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> So season 7 was obviously the season to exile the Doctor on Earth, and for season 8, Barry Letts and Terence Dix wanted to expand the regular cast to make the Unit era more defined. Uh, season 7 basically just had Brigadier and some unnamed soldier, unnamed soldiers, and this, se- this, this episode introduces three brand new characters to the show. Obviously, I'll get to them when they come to... I'll get to them when it comes to them in the show, but... The big one is obviously the master. That's that's yeah. the whole reason why we're doing it. It's the most defining villain for the Pertwee era. He lasted all of season eight, which is mental to think about. Imagine being the villain in every single episode. Like, <laughs> so yeah, just that's a little crazy. So yeah, just a little bit of origin origins for the master. Uh, Barry and Terence wanted to give the Doctor a Moriarty. Because they considered the brigadier to basically be his Watson for a while, which I can totally see that he's a he's like a bumbling fool of a brigadier. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, Terence Dix actually came up with the name of the master. He's also the guy who came up with the name of of the Time Lords and all sorts of names. You know, he, he, he Terence Dix is the granddaddy of all the Doctor Who names. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, immediately, Barry wanted Roger Delgado to play the role. Because we were great friends and even had a sword fight as actors in a drama once. So I think Roger Delgado is like the perfect choice for this incarnation of the master. He is so charming and just lovely. He is, he is, you know, this isn't our first time with Roger Delgado as the doctor in the podcast. Uh, as obviously, we've had him, uh, yeah, we, we had him uh, in, in the Daemons, Daemons. Um, and also the Sea Devils. 
and and the sea devils yes uh and every time he is on screen he is he's always giving a fantastic performance i don't, I don't think i've ever seen him and being like i don't believe that you're the master you know i i feel like you're just reading lines to me like he feels like the master he feels completely in this character that he's portraying it's it's a very solid performance yeah the best part about the master is it feels like he's basically just playing himself almost like you can just tell that he was really charming off screen as well as on screen and you can just really get that he's a really good dude but here he turns up the charm and somehow makes it evil which is an interesting take because obviously most villains are just maniacal whereas it's here, the goatee it's the goatee yeah. <laughs> the, go- the goatee makes you 15 percent more evil so <laughs> So, his name was Roger Caesar Marius Bernard de Delgado Torres Castillo Roberto. He, and he was born in 1918 to a Belgian mother and Spanish father, and was often typecast as a villain. Obviously, because of his goatee, his, kind of, his beard kind of, like, comes to a point. His yeah. eyes, he's, his got eyes... very, he's, got, he's got a villainous, like, a, a, a classic villain-looking face, you know? Yeah, he perfect, is so good. playing a villain. <laughs> It's like um, you know Christopher Lee. Like no matter yeah. what, he always like you look at him. You go, "Wow, you look like a villain." Like speaking of Christopher Lee, when we did Tomb of the Cybermen, I think I mentioned that he would be a really good movie master alongside Peter Cushing. Mm. How amazing yeah. would that be? <laughs> that would have been great. That would have been great for sure. Yeah. Uh, so Barry said that um, Roger Delgado had an enormous cap- capacity for villainy and charm. And, the part, and that was the part that the Master demanded. Um, some sources say that John Pertwee was kind of irritated because of how much coverage Delgado got in the press around this time, which I completely buy. Basically, John Pertwee is exactly like Third Doctor. He's kind of, <laughs> in his own way, he's kind of selfish, kind of. <laughs> yeah, you know, a bit a bit rude and um, Yeah. But apparently at the same time, he's also a charming guy. I, I, I get mixed vibes off of John Pertwee. He's my favorite doctor because he's rude and blunt in the show. He is, he he's especially rude and blunt in episode one of this episode. <laughs> you know he's he's no charm to him. At all. He's just kind of mean. Like... God, he, he, um, we'll get to it next week. But uh, he has some amazing lines in part three. I'm very excited to get to that. Um, apparently some executives actually thought that Roger Delgado was the new Doctor just because of how much he was marketed in the newspapers and the Radio oh, wow. Times. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, the Master was used as a main antagonist all seasons, which I said before, which Barry and Terence consider a mistake because stories were becoming too predictable. You know, if every story mm-hmm. ended up with, oh yeah, the big twist is it's Master. Yeah, we could have yeah. seen that five episodes, you know, after five stories that- in a row. Could you imagine watching a season of Doctor Who and every single episode, the twist is it's the same villain from before? Yeah. <laughs> like, you'd get so sick of it. Like, But it's also a fun idea on paper, like a, a, a through link of each story having to, to be the master. That's, a, that's an interesting concept, but don't make it a twist in every episode. That's really bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, the master just shows up in a disguise. Yeah, it, it makes the show almost feel like you know, like a Scooby Doo type kids cartoon where yeah. it's the villain, the same villain, and he's like, "Ah, oh, you foiled me this week, but I'll get you next time." <laughs> type of deal, you know. It it it's it almost kidifies the show a bit a bit more than it already yeah. is. 
I think it could have worked if the master just had like a big master plan he had throughout the whole season. An ancient mm-hmm. story was a new element to this big master plan but that he had to unfoil. I, I, the issue I think with that is if the master has this big master plan, is he needs to constantly be winning until the end. Otherwise, his plan is just foiled at the first step. Yeah. You know, and you can't, you did, the show is built around, you know, oh, especially in this era, the doctor wins at the end of the story. There's a happy ending, you know. It's a, it's a complicated issue to talk about because obviously there's so many ways we could have gone about it. But I, yeah. I think, I think having the whole season dedicated to one villain is interesting for a classic coup. They've never done that mm-hmm. um, again. Um, for and also. Reason. Yeah. Also, Roger <laughs> was finding it difficult to find other work around this time because obviously he was basically a series regular at this point. He would sometimes not appear for the first two episodes of a story, but he was in most episodes of season eight. So most casting companies just thought, oh yeah, I guess you're just a regular on Doctor Who now. You won't need more work. So <laughs> so we decided at the end of the season, at the end of the Demons actually, which we saw, to just kind of reti- soft retire the role he would sometimes appear in season nine i think two stories in season nine and one more story mm-hmm. in season 10 um they had massive plans for the master to be involved in pertwee's final story which never came to be because his last appearance was frontier in space in series 10 because he sadly died not too long after that in a car crash at the age of 55 which is again the doctor who curse dying way the too doctor young. who curse yep dying in your 50s and also, yeah, uh, John Pertwee cites this reason as one of the reasons he left Doctor Who because he just couldn't go on without Roger Delgado being there, which is so sad, so depressing. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. Um, so Barry Letts was keen to make stories more realistic than usual uh, because he thought before John's era, most Doctor Who stories were science fantasy instead of science fiction and I can understand that because, you know, bringing in the whole idea of plastic being, you know, a living mm-hmm. organism is, I guess, scientific. I don't know. No, it's not. But I, it's, I, guess, <laughs> I guess like the idea that the doc, like, you know, Pertwee's doctor, especially compared to like, you know, Hartnell or Troughton does more science like Mm -hmm. he's tinkering and engineering with things and building things constantly and he's got a lab like he's a scientist doing science things so it makes it more lean into the sciencey side of things rather than the let's just have an adventure and run around woo explosions you know uh it's i guess that's kind of what he's meaning at it it's less of a like a fantasy adventure and more of a like no we're doing science here even if the science is complete gibberish Yeah, um, that's one of my favorite things about John Pertwee, by the way, that he is a scientist, because most of the time we just forget the doctor's a scientist. He just, you know, yeah. you know, he never seems but to be a scientist I, much. I, I like each doctor kind of having a different, like, like hobby and fascination mm. that they're, like, obsessed with. Like, you know, the first doctor was just a douche, and then the second doctor was like, I like my flute. And third doctor's like, actually, I'm, I'm a scientist. And then the fourth doctor got really into scarves for a while. Like, you know, every every doctor's just kind of got a thing that they mm. that they like about them. You know, what is Jodie's thing? What is Jodie Whittaker's thing? What was Jodie's thing? Uh, <laughs> genocide. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, what, it was. It was genocide. That was it. It was. Let's just murder everybody. Let's just let's solve our problems by death. <laughs> 
But I guess you could also say that the whole plastic thing is science-based because obviously science was... Oh, sorry. I almost said science was a brand new thing around this time. Plastic was almost a brand new thing around this time. We didn't discover science till the 70s. Hey, they found it under a rock. It was weird. <laughs> but yeah, around this time, you know, plastic was becoming a common whole, common household thing, you know. You, n- yeah. you never really had plastic before that. And it, obviously, it's the thing that Doctor Who does really well. You, it, stuff around the house becomes intimidating to a child now. Yeah, becomes scary. Like, you're not going to sit on an inflatable couch anymore. <laughs> uh, the Ott ones opened up the last series of Classic Who and was a massive hit for the show, so we immediately knew that they should be brought back. Um, maybe a bit too soon, I would say. One year later, maybe just hold off for a little bit, but they brought him back just one year later. Uh, the director of this episode was Barry Letts, who we talked about last month because he directed Enemy of the World. And the writer of this episode was Robert Holmes, and we'll talk about him next week. This episode was almost destroyed by the BBC. Most people think, you know... Uh, the, B- uh, the BBC did most of her wiping of the episodes in the 60s. This continued until the 70s, but uh, the BBC would actually destroy the colour copies for a lot of Pertwee stories. So for decades, people had to watch a lot of Pertwee stories in black and white. Uh, to make the coloured versions, they would combine the colour signal from a- an American off-air Betamax beta tape with a BBC's high-quality black-and-white film recordings. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Betamax is obviously a, an old type of videotape, but isn't as visually impressive. You know, it's really rough. It's insane. It's, it, it baffles me constantly how the BBC used to treat Doctor Who. Like, it's just insane. That they were like, ah, ah, screw it. We'll just get, we'll just keep the black and white ones. Who cares? Like, and then everyone has to jump through all these ridiculous hoops to try and be like, wait, we can bring it back. Hang on. Like, I know it just never had any foresight, you know. And so many man hours went into making Doctor Who presentable again. It's insane to think about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this method was applied to a lot of stories in the nineties with mixed results. Often you'd get colours bleeding into each other or the image would be too saturated or not saturated enough. Uh, they'd often have trouble with flesh tones. And the version on ITVX is from the DVD, so it's improved as it was it's as as good as it could have been in two thousand and eleven. I think the Blu-ray of it did it so much better, but sometimes on the DVD version you'll see colours kind of bleeding into each other whereas the flash tones are kind of off slightly, but it, they did the best mm. they could, honestly. It looks it's, it's, decent enough. It looks good. Yeah, it looks good. It, it's crazy to me that the stream, that, like, you know, BritBox was the same, that they're not using the Blu-ray versions. Yeah. Like, I don't know why they wouldn't. They are available to use. Why not use them? It's possible that we'd have to um, pay the people who upgraded it more, you know, the res- restoration team have, would have to be paid for that version to be used on Brip. I'm not sure. I have no idea. I but also, no idea. I would imagine this version on Britbox would have been before the Blu-ray came out. So again, I'm just yeah, not too they sure. Already what, had it dig- yeah, they already had it digitized and couldn't be bothered doing it again. Yeah, that's possible. Like. <laughs> <laughs> like. Uh, the last thing is, one of the original titles of his story was The Spray of Death, which 
is obviously referring to this flowers being a spray of death, which I prefer Terror of the Autons. It, impl- it invokes more of a fear into the audience, mm-hmm. basically because one word it basically means fear. <laughs> yeah, 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 terror. Um, it's, it's interesting calling it Terror of the Autons when the Autons have so little to do yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for quite some time in this story. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of a classic Who move. So I'm not that surprised. Yeah, we'll get into why we're not in episode one later on, but do you want to dive into episode one, speaking of? I guess. (laughs) You guess. Let us begin episode one of Terror of the Autons. A nesting is a ruthlessly aggressive, intelligent alien life form. Well, what do they look like? Well, I suspect myself their basic form is analogous to a cephalopod. What's a cephalopod? An octopus. I thought you took an A-level in science. I didn't say I passed. Ugh, an octopus. They manifest themselves as a disembodied, mutually telepathic intelligence. But if they're disembodied, how can they hurt us? They make themselves bodies when they need them. You mean like Frankenstein? No. They have a natural affinity for plastic. Now, if you've quite finished asking questions... Sorry, just forget I'm here. Uh, the episode begins in the circus, where every episode of Doctor Who begins. Uh, we've got <laughs> we we spend like a solid like minute or so just kind of looking around the circus. Like we have a really long shot of some tigers as well. Yep. It's 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 very strange, but I guess you know they were filming at what must be a genuine circus, and they were like, "Screw it, let's get all the footage we can get while we're here." Yeah. You know? Apparently, the circus company worked a lot with the BBC around this time, so obviously perfect opportunity to film us in an actual circus i guess yeah <laughs> although yeah. the circus uh, yeah, isn't, yeah. doesn't really have much relevance to the overall story i think i don't but... i i don't think they come back again do they like... uh, they come they come <laughs> back again in episode two <laughs> i don't remember but well i guess we'll find out when we get when we get around to it but uh the like the ringleader what's the what's the guy in charge of a circus called the guy that is i don't remember what he's called but the guy in charge of a circus uh the the circus man uh comes around and we see a like horse van or whatever they're called appear with the noise of the tardis uh and the master step out of it which i think is a really fun way to introduce the master yeah um is him showing up in his tardis which has a working chameleon circuit which because... is this the first instance of a chameleon circuit working in Doctor Who? Bruh. Remember, remember what we started the year with. Think about no, it. No, I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> Think about I, it. I block out the. <laughs> I asked you. I asked a question. Give me an answer. <laughs> we just <laughs> did the time meddler. <laughs> oh yes, 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 yes. We did. And he had a working chameleon yeah. circuit. Yeah. I yep. block out. I like classic who's so bad. I just I block it out. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, I, I just remembered a note. Yeah, the time meddler was kind of like the prototype master. You know, the exact opposite mm-hmm. of the Doctor. And also in episode uh, second story we covered this year, another exact opposite to the Doctor, but this time he has his face. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and the master approaches the circus master and he's like, hey, you can call me the master. I'm definitely a cool dude and not evil at all. And I'm going to hypnotize you now so that you can do everything I say. Um, 
it's it's a fun way to introduce mm-hmm. introduce the master as as a villain. I think it's it's a lot of fun. And then we get some really amazing and this is a recurring theme in this episode is really spectacular fantastic almost like if you weren't paying close attention you wouldn't notice usage of blue screen um <laughs> it's it's across the entire the entire story the the blue screen is just it's on point it's fantastic and it's such a good choice for them to have made um, um so yeah i was going to talk about this later but i'll talk about it now uh, this story was the first story to really experiment with cso which stands for color separation overlay also known as chroma key back in the day basically now green screen um it was green screen of the day but with the ability to change the backgrounds live so the production crew could see the backgrounds while shooting the actual episode uh, a lot of CSO was apparently used because Barry Letts ran out of time during the location shoot. So <laughs> that's why there's so much chroma key just for people standing around in rooms sometimes. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Although, you know, what's really funny is that is the exact same reasoning I had to I had to use so much green screen in, in my student film I made because um, mm. you know when i was at college made a student film called road cop which you can watch on youtube.com slash mass youtube uh, it's a very funny movie um but there's like scenes where like people are like sitting in a bar or whatever and it's it's all green screen because i like it was so close to the deadline to get the films done and i could not get to time to film in a bar anywhere so i was like screw it we're just gonna do it on green screen you know the movie's supposed to be like a b movie anyway so it works it works that it's got this like jank green screen but that was the entire reasoning was i just don't have time to go to an actual pub we need to just film this now like (laughs) (laughs) i can understand barry letts's reasoning for using so much chroma key here because if you're gonna need a kitchen for like two seconds Mm-hmm. Why bother building a kitchen when he could just use it as green screen? Obviously, it doesn't look as good as it would live, but I can understand his yeah. reasoning. This is um, Barry Letts but, really. But then like you to should expand. you should you should ask you should ask yourself: Do you need yeah. the shot of a kitchen for two seconds? Is it I... that important to include? Exactly. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to that shot of the kitchen later on. It just appears for like two seconds for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but the 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 circus master like knocks out a security guard or something yeah. inside a room full of missiles where are they where what <laughs> like... uh, yeah there is there is no link between the two scenes we're just suddenly in some sort of museum <laughs> or something i don't know <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> like... what do you think of a master's theme as he's hypnotizing the ringleader i think it's fine I, yeah. You know, the music in this the music in this episode is sometimes overbearing and sometimes, like, a lot. Uh, yeah. But most of the time, it blends pretty well into the themes and the what you're seeing and stuff like that. So, you know, the soundtrack, I don't think, is, is too, t- too terrible in this story. Yeah, uh, this is another first for Doctor Who. This was the first time all the music was done electronically. Uh, Dudley Simpson and Brian Hodgson would work at it. Dudley Simpson, by the way... R- r- composed the music for like 300 episodes of doctor who so he is it's a wild just to consider that 300 episodes yeah this was so much yeah the electronic music was obviously done to keep costs down and dudley simpson was very unhappy about it having no conventional instruments involved uh the music sounds good here i like the master's theme i 
I am a real big fan, and it's something that I kind of want them to bring back in Doctor Who of pure electronic synth music. Just because, you yeah. know, I, I love synth anyway. It's my favorite. It's synth, I think, it works so well on film and TV as a soundtrack. It just adds such a vibe to everything, uh, and I want more of it, please. Yeah, um, as I was saying, uh, the music works here, but we've seen episodes where it turns out really bad, like the Sea yeah. Devils, where it's just noise. There's moments later on where it just becomes noise as well, but again, not nearly as bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, I, well, going back to hypnosis, uh, the writer Robert Holmes came up with the hypnosis idea. But his idea was to give him a mind-dominating ray. So he'd just been carrying around the big gun, I guess, the entire time. I, Which... I get, I, yeah, you could, I guess you could kind of, like, make it, like, his version of the sonic screwdriver. You know, like, if you think, like, um, John Sims' uh, sonic screwdriver basically was just a sonic ray. It was, like, a big laser beam. Um, yeah. That if, turns... if, if you wanted to go that way, but... It was a sonic ray that turned the doctor into golem <laughs> yeah yeah that's, that's how it works um but i you know i kind of like the because you know all time lords are kind of semi like telepathic or whatever mm-hmm. they've got some some power going on but I, I like the master being able to hypnotize people that's why i really liked it in the um power of the doctor when yeah sasha darwin started hypnotizing people that was a great great little callback yeah, they go for a lot of classic tropes in Power of the Doctor, by the way. Like, the disguise. Probably the best disguise yeah. the Master has ever pulled off. Like, yeah. here... Well, I, mean, I mean, the... Pa- in, this episode, the his, the doc- in this episode, his... Sorry. His disguise is... Oh, yeah, I'm just going to call myself Mr. Masters. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the Power of the Doctor itself is basically just a big love letter to classic yeah. who anyway. You know, so it, it's 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 a fun fun episode. It was a big cl- uh, love letter to Classic Who in the way, but it doesn't make fucking sense. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like not like it's kind of like underwhelming, and, but like fine, like it was fun. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think the next scene shows off the perfect contrast between the Doctor and the Master because we cut from the Master being such a lovely gentleman, basically, <laughs> but at the same time evil. To the doctor being just a total asshole to Joe, uh, but <laughs> yes, yeah, the hero uh, of the story. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the next scene we have is the doctor working on and some sort of experiment that catches fire as Joe comes into the room and she like puts out and everything. And this is our introduction to Joe. You know, we were saying before that this is our first time meeting the master in the show. This is also our first time meeting Joe as a companion on the show. Um, and. It's an interesting way to introduce a companion to have the doctor call her a complete bumbling idiot. Uh, (laughs) He's so mean to her. (laughs) Like, right off the bat, because she stops this fire happening, and the doctor's like, it was supposed to be doing that, there was no fire. Even though he was like, oh my god. (laughs) You know? (laughs) He's Um, he's such a a thick. But yeah, this, this introduction of Joe does what they intended to do by showing that she's a complete bumbling fool basically it's a complete opposite to the previous companion liz shaw uh, liz shaw mm-hmm. was actually dropped after the last season without a farewell scene which is really oh, wow. upsetting if you're a liz shaw fan you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. um yeah, it was they just because this, they just say in this episode she went back to like cambridge yeah <laughs> Uh, she was dropped because she was considered too smart to the character the doctor needs someone to explain things to for the audience which mm. you can just 
have Liz Shaw explain things to the brigadier at the same time. Like you don't yeah. need the doctor to explain just, things all the time. Yeah, you you also you don't need to get rid of that companion. You could just add another companion. Like you yeah. could just add Joe in. You don't need to get rid of Liz as well. You could just add in Joe, who is like say like an <laughs> intern under uh, Liz's wing or whatever to learn. And the yeah. entire time she's like, oh, I'm just an idiot. I'm only here because my parents aren't kind of in charge. You know, like, that's why, how she got the internship. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get to that whole nepotism thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, let's just talk about the nepotism now. Like, why, I, I don't, suddenly makes Joe kind of unlikable because she's only here because of nepotism. Like, she's, it's a very serious like, role, isn't it? <laughs> you have to think, you have you have to think. This is the, the TV, you know, we're watching a TV program. Yeah. Everybody involved in creating this TV program is there because of nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, true. But, you know, when... <laughs> yeah, but, you know, nepotism in a role of a scientific advisor is a bit sus, and it makes me kind of... I, I love Joe Grant as a companion, but having mm-hmm. her be a Napple baby basically in this important role is very strange. It's very complicated. <laughs> you're 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 saying that in 1970, everybody got their job for <laughs> legitimate reasons. No, I and guess I'm not. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the subject of Liz Shaw, I've rewatched the Silurians last year because I haven't seen season seven in a long, long time. And I watched the Silurians just because we were doing the Sea Devils. Remember the Sea Devils? We did it exactly one year ago. We have talked. <laughs> we have talked about doing like the Sea Devils, like our, us God doing sake. the Sea Devils, like almost every week this year. <laughs> like. <laughs> They just we can't escape yeah, them. I know. They just keep coming back. <laughs> Somehow the sea devils have returned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in that episode, the Silurian, seven episodes long, all I remember Liz Shaw doing is the doctor tells her to go get some beakers at one point because she has to go study mm-hmm. something. And then she spends most of the time off screen. <laughs> they just did not know how to write Liz Shaw, a smart character. Uh, yeah, not just a smart character, a smart woman. Oh my god, it's impossible <laughs> writing classic who. It makes yeah. no sense. So Joe Grant was designed to be the complete opposite of Lee Shaw. Joe was scatterbrained and cuddly and fun, according to Doctor Who magazine in the 80s. Whereas Liz Shaw was a scientist who was very professional and somewhat emotionally guarded. Uh, originally, Joe was going to be given an official title of lieutenant, but it was dropped for whatever reason. I guess it's because women can't be lieutenants. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't think she needs the title, you know, Lieutenant Joe Grant. Just it just it seems like a mouthful. Also, you know, if we're talking 1970, surely it should be Lieutenant if we're if we're doing proper British English. <laughs> I guess um, should, you know, because that that is how it's pronounced is Lieutenant. Lieutenant mm. is American. There you go. There's there's a fun there's a fun military fact. <laughs> <laughs> so there were 300 applicants and 60 people were interviewed for the role of Joe Grant. Jesus. Uh, one thing you have to know about Katie Manning is she is incredibly short-sighted and gets flustered very easily. Uh, she was late to the rehearsal because she accidentally went to the BBC Television Centre instead of Barry Letts' office. And when she got to Barry Letts' office, she couldn't fucking read the script at all. <laughs> oh my god. And basically... It, it... <laughs> and basically Barry Letts decided to continue the interview because... Her personality just seemed to fit, you know. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, like, you know, you're trying to cast a bumbling idiot of a character, and then yeah. this lady comes along. I feel like it's, it's like a match made in heaven. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, in real life, basically, Katie Manning is Joe Grant. There is no difference between the two oh characters, God, especially right when Joe Grant... Especially whenever Joe Grant returns to Doctor Who nowadays, you know, whether it's the Sarah Jane Adventures, she seems more scatterbrained than she did in the classic <laughs> series. You know, that's the joy of it, though, isn't it? Because you, you've got the nostalgia kick of her coming back, and then you can, like, turn up the dial to, like, 11 or so of what her character was like, just exaggerate it a bit. Because, like, everybody will, like, inflate it in their memory of, like, oh, yeah, she was such a huge idiot, even though she wasn't that big of a stupid person mm. in the show you know she has like a few bumbling moments here and there but the way that they remember the character is her being this big goofus uh and so that you could just expand on that whenever she comes back into other mediums and speaking of other mediums you know we just recently saw her come back in doctor who itself and uh, for a short cameo at the end of power of the doctor uh she recently filmed that little trailer for series 9 blu-ray which was lovely to see and then she also came back in a recent third doctor adventures audio series which we were confused about whether or not to mention the Sarah Jane Adventures. I listened to a trailer this morning, and it does mention the Sarah Jane Adventures. Basically, Joe Grant is like, the last time I met you, you were like a young man with a bow tie. <laughs> and John, um, the third Doctor is basically like, oh, a bow tie. I like the sound of that. My style still hasn't gone off. <laughs> Which, the, <laughs> the idea of the third Doctor approving of the 11th Doctor's outfit is lovely. I like that. Yeah, that's great. That that's really good. That's really fun. <laughs> um, so John Pertwee would often drive Katie Mann into her work, and the two actors created such a natural bond. Uh, sometimes he'd even take her on its motorbike, which sounds amazing. <laughs> I love the idea. Yeah, of that. So yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but our episode continues as we cut away to some large science tower facility that's definitely in the sky and not in a studio against a blue screen. That would be crazy. Uh, <laughs> where a man is talking about how eggs make him fart a lot. Um, and <laughs> like the, the egg conversation has nothing to do with anything. I don't know why it's there. No, um, the, the egg conversation makes me think that Robert's Ho Robert Holmes' wife packed too many eggs in his lunchbox, <laughs> and he was just like, "Oh, I fucking hate eggs. I'm gonna break out my anger," <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> uh, there's it's there's, a shame. I re there's no reason for it to be in here. <laughs> There's not. There's no reason for it at all. The scientist brings it up for no reason. Uh, but I really like eggs. You know, I like hard-boiled eggs as well. But like, if you're if you're thinking it's too bland or whatever, add some salt to it. Yeah. You know, or, get some pepper. You know, or, like season it up. Or ask her to just make it in a sandwich or something like that. I don't know. But it's, yeah, it's, it is yeah. a very 1970s thing for a man to be complaining about his wife making lunch. You know. Yeah. It's it it it's also a very 1970s thing to have no seasoning on anything. Yeah. Nothing is allowed flavor. It's but. a fucking. It's a. Fu it's not just a 1970s thing. It's a British thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so these two men are Christopher Burgess and Andrew Staines, and they were both in Enemy of the World, which we covered last year. Christopher Burgess yeah. is a man with a hair. He was the guy who who discovered Salamander's lie because of a newspaper, and the scientist mm -hmm. dude played a sergeant in that same story, which is interesting because we just covered that story. It's wild coincidence. It is. It is, guess, a, it is a fun coincidence. I guess I, it, I don't reckon. I guess it's not a coincidence because the same director directed this story, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I didn't recognize the newspaper guy uh, in this because if I remember in the Enemy of the World, in that he's bald. 
Yeah. Whereas in, in this, he's got hair, and also in this, he's got very thick glasses. Yeah. So they, they, do a, they do a good job in that you, like, would not recognize his face at all. Yeah. And also, he was in black and white, you know? He, yeah. Now, now he's in color. It's a different medium altogether. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they come up, and they're basically talking about nothing. They're like, get me that science thing with science. And the scientist is like, I hate eggs. Uh, no, and then they no, leave. Uh, the, the guy with the glasses <laughs> is like, speaking of eggs, get this report done <laughs> yeah. for me tomorrow. And it's like, that has nothing to do with eggs. Nothing what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely nothing to do with eggs. Uh, but then when speaking he of eggs, mas- speaking of eggs, <laughs> then the master returns. <laughs> comes in. <laughs> yeah, but that ties in because the scientist is eating eggs at that point. Um, and uh, the master, I assume, kills this man. He like pulls out like a, a like I guess it's like a mini gun and just kind of blasts his head, and then the guy vanishes. Um, or does is this a like, duty shrinks down? Yeah, this is the dude he shrinks down. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, he, he shrinks this dude down. You have very like little sa- recollection of this episode, my dude. <laughs> it sucked. This episode sucked. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he shrinks the dude down as the scientist continues. And at this point, the master starts doing weird stuff in the tower as the soundtrack is going ballistic. Like the master yeah. is like winding up <laughs> some device onto something. He's doing like just some gibberish, really. And the soundtrack is just yeah. going like. <laughs> Jesus Christ, calm down. <laughs> yeah, that's when it feels like the soundtrack to the Sea Devils to me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it gets it gets really overbearing. One thing you um, skipped over was when the master pulls out his gun, the camera decides to zoom in on the master, which is yes. one thing you should never ever do when you're shooting against green screen because the entirety mm-hmm. of the green screen moves with it. It looks hideous. <laughs> it is. It is awful but you know to give them their credit a 1970s audience is not going to notice something like yeah yeah i know you know they would also not notice the outline when characters are standing Mm -hmm. in front of it because you know in 1970 the tv reception is incredibly poor and often you just Mm -hmm. get ghosting images on the tv like when i was a kid i had like an indoor aerial it's a very tiny indoor aerial I'm sorry. You grew up in 1970. Did you no, grow when, up in 1970? When I was a kid in the early <laughs> 2000s, I had a tiny indoor aerial, and I would often just get like ghostly outlines with all the people on screen. So if I was watching it mm. this episode with a tiny little indoor aerial, I would not have noticed. And also, it was on my like 12-inch screen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they they could get away with a lot more back then. Plus, yeah. also like audiences in general just were not as knowledgeable about how tv and films are made you know Mm. so they like if they see like a blue outline around something they're not really going to think about like oh that's a fake background that they've put in with computers they're going to be like oh that's weird if they notice it at all you know because they don't know what it is whereas nowadays everybody has a computer everybody's got a camera everybody has editing software you know like everybody knows the basics when it comes to film production I mean, also, like, half the country was still watching television in black and white around this time. More than half, actually. So they probably wouldn't have noticed it either way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Uh, then we cut back to the doctor complaining about Joe Grant to the brigadier, and the brigadier is basically explaining Joe's entire character, where he, he's like, she's a big bumbling idiot, and you said you would want a big bumbling idiot, so we got you one, hmm? <laughs> uh, And the doctor's like, the doctor's like, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to work with her, you got to send her away, and the brigadier's like, okay, if that's what you want, but you have to tell her. Uh, and I really liked this scene, because when the doctor goes to tell her, he's like, yes, well, uh, 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 uh I, I guess it's going to be great working with you, Joe. You know, he just yeah. he can't bring himself as mean and as rude as he is to Joe when he meets him. He can't bring himself to actually like, you know, hurt her in any genuine way or send her away, crush her. He's 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 too nice even to his core, you know. Yeah. I, I'm I'm glad it's... we just don't make the doctor too mean towards her because I would leave such a bad impression for a very first mm-hmm. appearance of her, like, the audience would yeah. probably hate her as well, eventually. So you've got to add a bit of niceness to it as well. It's also, like, I don't know how I feel about the introduction of her character being, we got you somebody to just pass you beakers and ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, we got you we got you a dumb lady <laughs> to just ask you things because that's what you wanted. You didn't want a smart lady, you wanted a dumb lady, so here is one. I don't know how I feel about that as an introduction to a character, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it is a bit outdated, I would say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, the Doctor and the Joe and that all decide that they need to go to the big tower where everything was weird. Uh, and they were where the like scientist guy that really hated eggs was uh and then they're about to go up to it and the doctor's like no everybody stay th- th- behind i'm just going up by myself why did i drive you here don't worry about it <laughs> um <laughs> like, and he gets he gets up and he's about to step inside to the the science building when a man uh, teleports into the sky <laughs> it, it it's it's some more fantastic and not at all terrible blue screen yeah where another time lord appears out of thin air like there's the tardis noise but we don't see a ship we we don't see like you thought he was like a projection or a hologram i just assumed he was like teleporting down but whatever he's doing it makes no sense because he's literally standing in the sky uh, Um, until he like zooms in and becomes bigger (laughs) you know in cartoons when people walk off a cliff and then suddenly they're like floating <laughs> in midair, and then suddenly they look down, and then they fall. Yeah, I want yeah. this to happen here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how the time lord is floating. It's very strange. Um, yeah, it's but so the, bad. It's so the whole bad. idea of the time lord warning the doctor about an arch enemy that's here is going to be repeated again in Genesis of the Daleks. We're going to see that next mm. month. And yeah, this Time Lord is basically dressed like a a character from the Avengers, not the American Avengers, but like the British Avengers. Yeah, he's got like a bowler hat and suit on. Yeah, and also, uh, Uh, was it a walking cane or is it an umbrella? It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's like, you know, he sucks. He sucks so much. He's so boring and the green screen is so distracting. There um, is there is no reason for him to be here to warn the doctor that the master is here because you know the doctor should sense the master is it, near. Wouldn't wouldn't it be a more exciting reveal of the master as a villain for the doctor to see him and go, "Oh my god, how could you be here?" You know. Yeah. 
and then and then you're left with the intrigue of wait the doctor knows who this guy is these guys have a history rather than mr fucking bowler hat magoo coming down and being like oh the the master's coming you better watch out and the doctor being like oh yes the master he's one of my worst enemies of all time i hated him where yeah. like you know just saying it to us rather than showing it to us you know i, I like it's so it's so bad i just hate it yeah. i hate this scene i hate this scene so much <laughs> like <laughs> but also i like this scene because it shows how awful the fucking time lords are they just often warn the doctor <laughs> of danger but we don't do fucking shit about it you know oh yeah the yeah. Do- doctor is a bomb in this room that i could easily yeah. teleport myself into but i won't you have to solve a bomb issue by yourself you have, you, you have to dive into this room and hope you catch the bomb or explode <laughs> 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 it's so stupid so stupid uh but yeah the doctor the master has rigged up like a tripwire device on a bomb inside the room uh the doctor runs in to grab it and successfully does so uh then he disarms the bomb in a fantastic scene because he's sitting disarming the bomb as a unit soldier comes in and is like oh my god there's a bomb have you defused it and like they start talking and then like another guy comes into the room and he starts <laughs> talking as well and the entire time we're just looking at the doctor we do not see who these people are that are talking we do not know yeah. where the voices are coming from it's just it's insane that we just follow the doctor and we don't see it's for like a solid like 40 50 seconds we do not see yeah. the people it, talking at all it's it, wild yeah <laughs> like, this, this happens for almost a minute my theory is maybe there was a technical fault with one of the cameras that was you know shot towards the two people entering the room that's my only theory like maybe it wasn't working <laughs> or maybe they couldn't get the shot in time and they had to keep on John Pertwee for an incredibly long amount of time like <laughs> It, maybe they were just strange. trying to maybe maybe they were trying to minimize the amount of blue screen they had to use in the scene because obviously <laughs> the 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 soldier and the scientist guy are standing next to the window. Yeah, uh, that's possible. Which, which and it just it looks atrocious. Uh, but they figure out that the scientist is missing and he must have left in a hurry. But then they look inside the lunchbox and oh my god, little chef from from or little cook from big cook little cook is here uh, <laughs> as, as as he's he's hiding inside the lunchbox because the master has shrunk him down and it looks okay. Like it's very yeah. much a dated effect. It's a very dated effect, but it is far and away. Uh, probably one of the better looking effects in the entire yeah. <laughs> episode um, <laughs> this took hours for them to figure out the best way of doing the little man uh, they eventually realized it looked wrong without a shadow so they placed a paper shadow for him to basically sit on and yeah this took hours trying to figure this out this is why they've ran out of location time i think because <laughs> he just spent <laughs> so much time just working on this <laughs> which is a shame yeah, and it's fu- it's fun though it's it's like a fun effect that like especially in like 1970s tv is not an effect you would have seen like pretty much yeah. anywhere you know i would have been like oh this is cool like what, what a cool <laughs> idea that they've done here you know it's just aged relatively badly yeah but uh, it, looks, we, it still looks fairly good enough you know and other yeah. you know whenever the master would shrink people in future episodes they'd basically turn into little dolls instead of like the chroma which key is that you see here. which is what sasha darwin does as well yeah. makes him into little dolls so, so which i, I like more as an idea i like that more as an idea i i kind of like the little man more but i guess you could think of why did the little man die i guess it's because he put him in a lunchbox with no air holes <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was just smelling eggs the entire time <laughs> <laughs> uh but we then cut to the master who is inside like the 
fa- the plastic factory or the science factory yeah. or wherever they have the science factory where they plastic, manufacture plastic science factory. <laughs> um, no science science factory where they manufacture science uh, <laughs> and the master's uh, new best friend is michael wisher who is going to mm-hmm. be the the guy who plays davros next month we're going to cover genesis of a dalek and he becomes davros You'd never figure it nice. out here. <laughs> no, that's that's cool. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a minor scene where the master's just like, oh, I love working in this factory made of plastic. You know who I am, yes, because he's, like, hypnotized this guy or whatever. Uh, and we then cut to the doctor and Joe uh, back at unit head HQ where the doctor is explaining the nesting, which are the autons, aren't they? You know, yeah. like the nesting consciousness, yeah. which, yeah. Um, uh, explaining... This whole scene reminds me of when we did the Sea Devils. So much of episode one of the Sea Devils was the Doctor basically explaining what the Silurians were. It's the same thing here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, also, it's yeah. the same thing because Terror of the Autons is basically a spearhead from space. It's the same story, except with the Master included. The Sea Devils was the same story as the Silurians, except with the Master included. So, <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, but yeah, you know, it basically explains that there are aliens that like to plastic and that's it but it goes on for ages um he also sticks the bomb that he's got into a box and puts big letters on it called bomb don't worry that'll come back later um <laughs> uh then I, I did i miss something why does joe start spying on the master and how does she know where he is okay first of all you missed out one of the best jokes when the brigadier walks in and he's like oh i've run out of all the ideas yeah. i can't figure out where the autons could be and my doctor's like have you tried the plastic um mm-hmm. place and the is yeah. like oh no i tried it. I didn't think of that <laughs> it's like the first place you'd think of <laughs> yeah which um, is which is great but why would they send joe to do this because they've already established <laughs> that she's a bumbling buffoon so the original like... script would have had joe do nothing the entire episode which is surprising mm. because usually they're so good at writing yeah usually usually <laughs> usually the companions have so much work to do like it's, but yeah it's really strange uh this was at a request by terence dix who just asked uh robert holmes to just basically beef up her, her character give her something to yeah. do get hypnotized and be more weak to the story <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because she's like spying on the master and gets caught immediately. Um, and just the master's like, "Cool, I'll take you back and I'll hypnotize you. This is easy. This is good yeah. for me." Um, um, which is it's yeah, it's an when, interesting idea to have sorry. the companion in her first episode become a bad guy. Yeah, which, know? which we don't do anything with. You know, <laughs> it would be yeah. more interesting <laughs> if she remained hypnotized the entire story, and we as an audience don't know she's hypnotized. That'd be more interesting, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during the hypnosis scene as the master is hypnotizing Joe Roger Taglado just kept him pulling silly faces to try and make her break <laughs> character which I love him <laughs> great that's yeah that's great that's super <laughs> um, but we then after Joe gets hypnotized we cut we get to a scene that I feel is extremely important with these two businessmen talking about they're one of the guy's dads and yeah. how he's retired and how that the guy should contact him but he he but he's he wants to contact him but he shouldn't because he's retired and he, this other guy's in charge now god damn it uh, but yeah. the, this is a really long boring scene basically being like i can't believe colonel masters is here wait who's colonel masters that guy doesn't <laughs> exist yes he does i just met him um 
and it sucks uh, but I, eventually it leads to this this dude I, I, who's brainwashed I, I, yeah i do like the little moment where michael wisher is looking through like the little um cattle uh, the little what do you fucking call it like em- little... employee records whatever yeah and, like. and he's looking for mike uh uh Colonel Masters. Colonel Masters. Like, but I, I could have sworn it was here. I'd be interested mm-hmm. just to see his like mind break at the idea of. I know he's here, but <laughs> he's hypnotized. But he can't physically see, find the Colonel Masters thing. I'd be interested to see his mind kind of break because of that. But it goes nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does go nowhere. He just goes to see the master, and the master's like, "Hi, friend." But um, yeah, I, I think I, this little drama about the dad owning the company and now the son is inheriting the role. Garbage. Oh it was God, apparently garbage. because Terrence Diggs wanted more drama to the story that wasn't just action. And so I guess mm. Robert Holmes was like, eh, maybe I could do something with the plastic man. <laughs> it goes nowhere. Uh, but the, you know, the, the dude goes to see the master who is definitely standing in a factory. <laughs> Definitely standing in a laboratory. Definitely not in a horrendous-looking green screen. <laughs> uh, as he's like working on his autons, which let's speak about this auton design. I uh-huh. kind of dig it. I think it's kind of cool looking. I like like they're they're like kind of spooky. Like if like if I was a kid in 1970, I kind of think I would have been pretty spooked by the look of the autons. I think them having air holes under their noses is hilarious because <laughs> why does living plastic need to breathe? Um, obviously, the person in the suit needs to breathe, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it's funny. I think the updated version of them in the Doctor Who, you know, the first episode of Doctor Who, uh, when it came back with them being the mannequins was great. Good idea. Uh, obviously yeah. not the first time that the Autons were mannequins, because that's happened before in Classic yeah. Who, hasn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah, the Autons but... look pretty decent here, yeah. Uh, I think th- they look cool. So yeah, this scene is only included because it was written It was written hastily at the last minute because we realised that they couldn't call it Terror of the Autons and not have them appear in yeah. Episode 1. So like, yeah. <laughs> they weren't going to be in Episode 1 apparently, which is interesting to say the least. <laughs> that's not shocking though, because Episode 1 sucks. Um... But the Autons go to kill the science guy and the master stops them. Um, and then we've got a, like like a box arrives at Unit HQ and they're trying to open it up and Joe's like, oh yes, we should definitely open this up. And the doctor's like, wait, no, that's a bomb. Because uh, I guess the doctor just knows instantly that it's a bomb. And then Joe like karate punches a unit guy in the stomach and then opens <laughs> up the box. And then and then we just cut to the credits. We just it's the episode's over now. Done. Uh, it's yeah. this episode really drags out its ending. Like I I do not think this episode needs to be twenty four minutes long. It could be twenty two easily. Yeah. Um, and it the end the cliffhanger sucks ass. The the. This, I think this is a really weak episode overall. Yeah. I just I, I did not have a good time with this episode. I had a good time laughing at this episode with the bad effects. Like that made it enjoyable for me, but like the actual story and structure of this episode sucked. <laughs> yeah, and um, there is no real plot to it other than the master is here and he's trying to bring the autons. This cliffhanger sucks, as you said, because there is no tension because the doctor's like, stop, bomb. And then we have 20 mm-hmm. seconds just watching joe open the box we know the doctor is going to arrive at the box and close it or throw it out at least cut to black and have that explosion sound effect so we don't know what happened to them like that'd be yeah. way more intense but instead we just see joe slightly open the box i mean it cuts and it's like yeah we know the doctor's going to close it so what's the point 
a weak cliffhanger for sure it, definitely a weak cliffhanger a kind of a weak introduction to the autons a fun if all underwhelming introduction to both joe and the master yeah you know like the, the, it's just this episode's just weak in general in like every aspect yeah i yeah it's always my problem with the master i love roger delgado as a master but i just don't i prefer to see him work on his own because every time he's introduced yeah. in the uh, per tweet era he's always working Teams with another up. villain <laughs> yeah yeah and then yeah but i guess if if he has to work with a villain i guess it works but it's the autons because the autons have no agency as like characters of their own we're just independent we're just mindless drones aren't they <laughs> yeah they you know they're they're all just like faceless plastic under the command of the like nesting yeah. consciousness or whatever the fuck um you know uh, it's fine it's a fine episode part two is a lot more fun but also not yeah. great uh, and we are going to jump into it right now you're a magician as well as a colonel eh i am many things i will that's as may be but, but 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 you're not a director of this company colonel masters i am in charge of production here and i answer only to mr farrell and his father look why don't you try it well you'll never sell that i'll tell you that for nothing sure it looks like like a black pudding Try sitting in it. It's got a cool, clammy feel to it. Now, plastic should be warm and dry. Sit to the down. Sylvia, will you check Mr. McDermott's entitlement on termination of employment, please? Episode 2 begins with an amazing uh, continuation of the amazing cliffhanger we had in episode 1, where the doctor grabs the bomb, he throws it out a window, and it explodes into a nearby river. A it's river. thrilling. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a river that's not usually outside the unit base, because the last time we covered a unit era story was the three doctors, and they're nowhere near a a river we're just in the countryside uh, somewhere the, jo john pertry just threw it really far <laughs> like it was a it was a really good throw um <laughs> and then then they spend a long time trying to snap joe out of her hip hypno hypnotize it hypno, hip how do you say hypnotize hypnotization hip, hip, is that a word hypnotization <laughs> i don't hip, know i don't hip, think so it doesn't sound right hip hypno hip hip Hypnotization. Trance. Let's Just say out. trance. Hypno hypnotization is a word. Get fucked. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they try. They try to snap her out of that, and the doctor explains in 
an excruciatingly amount of detail exactly what hypnosis is and how it works and that if you are hypnotized then you can do anything that the other person wills it's not just what you would already do under your own guise so you could force people to like murder somebody and even if they wouldn't murder somebody normally and it it goes on for ages it sucks yeah. it sucks so hard i'm um, sure most kids watching doctor who would know what hypnotizing people was you know like, yeah <laughs> i don't understand why we make such a big deal out of it i feel like we've done hypnotized stories before this and also you know yeah. comic books it would be a big thing for kids in the 70s like they know what it was i don't understand it <laughs> Yeah, it sucks. It's it's bad. Uh, and then, speaking of bad, we then cut to the master talking with one of the, like, the factory people that was upset about the guy's dad or something from last episode. And he's like, hey, look at this cool couch I've got. It's inflatable. And the guy's like, I don't care if it's an inflatable couch. It looks like crap. It, he says it looks like a black pudding, which I don't know what black puddings <laughs> look like in 1970, but apparently they look like sofas. Um, <laughs> and the, the master's like, you should you should sit on it. You should sit on this cool couch that I've got. Just try it out. You'll really like it. Uh, and the guy eventually sits on it, and then the couch really slowly deflates yep. and eats him. And it is hilarious. It is so bad. It is amazing like we, 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 we spend about 20 seconds washing it inflate. So i mean it took yeah. about 20 <laughs> seconds washing it deflate it was originally the guys sitting there like ah, ah, oh no, ah, ah. <laughs> which, which which apparently scared kids of the 70s interestingly enough <laughs> you know of course it did they got but, scared by everything apparently in classic <laughs> doctor who like but yeah obviously that scene was shot in reverse you can you can kind of see it <laughs> But it, it was originally yeah. scripted for a plastic to mold itself into the shape of the man's body and wrap him from the waist up and then reform itself back into an armchair with McDermott sitting in it dead. Jesus Christ. Which that, obviously, was, that was <laughs> ambitious. An ambitious idea. Yeah, which obviously wasn't in the budget, but it would probably be more terrifying than it was already just mm -hmm. to see a dead body just sitting there in the sofa <laughs> you know yeah well I, I mean it wasn't terrifying the way that True. they did it so you know any alternative way of doing it would be more scary <laughs> but um, you know if you were five we... if you were five in the 1970s mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. your imagination would run wild because you would never be able to see this episode again for like 20 years yeah. and your imagination yeah. would make it so much worse than it actually was I can guarantee yeah. you that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, we then cut back to the Doctor and Joe, and she's still hypnotized, and it still goes on for ages, um, until eventually she snaps out of her hypnosis, and the Doctor's like, where were you when you got hypnotized? And Joe really badly describes where she was. She's like, <laughs> I was in a room, and there was a table and a telephone and the doctor's like was it an office was it like he's just trying to guess because she's doing such a terrible job of explaining this um but eventually they get out that it was like a factory office or whatever uh, and then we cut away again this episode sucks and nothing is yeah. happening um <laughs> uh, and then speaking of things sucking we are with the factory man and his dad who's now arrived and the master and the dad's like you guys all suck you're doing my business wrong i'm gonna come out of retirement and do my business better and the master's like i'm gonna hypnotize you and the guy's like you can't hypnotize me i'm too cool and it sucks <laughs> i don't i do not like the fact that in the second episode with the master there's already somebody that's like haha your hypnosis sucks like yeah. already taking the wind out of the master's sails he's no longer that threatening if this random dude can stop the hypnosis 
Like, it, it also feels like the master just kind of wandered onto the set of like Twin Peaks or something, but without all the supernatural elements, just feels like he just wandered on the set of a soap opera. Like this is EastEnders yeah. right now. Like a, it's a big drama between a father and a son running a company. And it's like, why is this part of the plot, and why is the master involved? Like. Why doesn't like every there's so many people who just come into this fucking room for a master to yeah, either no. hypnotize or kill? <laughs> it sucks. It sucks. It's so bad. Uh, but the master decides that you know if he can't hypnotize this dude, he's gonna have to find another way of getting rid of him. He goes out to his car and he turns the heating on, um, and then like the old man comes out and he's like, "Hey, do you want to have this hideous doll?" And the old man's like, "Why would I want that? It's awful looking, and it is awful looking. It's yeah. hilarious how." awful it looks uh and the master's like ah you can have it and he just puts it into the back seat of the old man's car and the old man doesn't like go like oh no i don't want it and like takes it away yeah or just drives off for a little bit and then takes out the car and throws it in the rubbish he's just like i guess i have this doll now and drives away with it and that doll oh boy does it have some amazing comedy um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but before that happens, we cut back to Unit HQ where still nothing is happening. But this time, for but this time for longer periods, uh, as Joe comes in and she's like, "Has any story happened yet, Doctor?" And the Doctor's like, "No." And then the Brigadier <laughs> comes in and he's like, "Has any doc story happened yet?" And then they're like, "No." And then another dude comes in. I think it's it's is it Sergeant Yates yep. that comes in. Yeah. Uh, I'm learning names. Look at that. Uh, he comes <laughs> in and he's like, "Has any story happened?" And everyone's like, "Nope." And it sucks. Like. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of Mike Yates, this is his introduction. This is his introduction to Doctor. He's a third main character now. Um, he was originally supposed to be a dashing young love interest for Joe Grant, and you'll see them kind of flirt at the end of this scene, yeah. where where Mike Yates is like, "What's wrong, Joe?" And then Joe's like, "Oh, the Doctor will never believe in me," or whatever the fuck she talks <laughs> about. I wasn't paying attention. But yeah, they wanted uh -huh. to attract the teenage market and just like build up a love interest. However, it was decided mm. that the relationship would have conflicted with the relationship between Joe and the Doctor, so this was dropped, which would which was a shame, I would say, because I it you would know, give... I feel like I f I feel like relationships conflicting allows you to write drama, yeah. which creates compelling television. Yeah, like, so... like maybe the doctor's, <laughs> like... maybe the, like maybe you could have a scene where the doctor's life is in danger, and if Joe was there next to the doctor rather than a date with Mike Yates, Joe could have saved mm -hmm. the doctor in that situation, and she feels guilty about it. That's some drama right there, you know. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, also, you know, you know, it would give something for Joe to do other than do stuff with the doctor like have a relationship with mike yates instead that would be more interesting i think uh, it's you know it, it makes me think of amy and rory yeah you know where amy had this relationship with the doctor where she kind of liked him and wanted to impress him all the time but also she had this relationship with rory where rory loved her and she loved rory you know and it caused a lot of conflict because rory was like uncomfortable with the doctor's relationship with amy or he felt like unworthy at times you know but yeah. eventually they get over that and they have character arcs and they they grow and they form and it, it creates compelling television who would have thought yeah, who, who thought that that was possible? That's wild. Yeah, but... in, the, in in the classic series, especially the companions don't have a life outside of the Doctor. Give Joe mm -hmm. a life outside of the Doctor, please. Yeah, it, but you know, in their last episode, she gets married off to somebody she just basically met because that's how they write off characters in the seventies. They ever get thrown away without a scene, without a farewell scene, 
or if you get married like Susan or yeah, Joe, yeah. you know. God. Oh, oh, it's so bad. It's um, so, so, so bad. Ian Martyr was originally considered for Mike Yates, but he hadn't realized he was auditioning for a series regular, so he dropped out. Uh, Barry Letts would later cast him in a small role for Carnival of Monsters, and then again as Harry Sullivan, who would, uh, he was a companion for Tom Baker's first season. And we shall cover an Ian Martyr story with Genesis of the Daleks next month. You know, it, it, it's, it's all connected. Great. Like, there's so it's many all, guest stars it. from Enemy of the World, which you covered last month, and now there's so many guest stars from, you know, Genesis of the Daleks, who we're covering next month. It's very strange. <laughs> It's like poetry, it rhymes. Uh, but we then cut to the old man who's sweating buckets as he definitely really drives this car. Um, uh, and the doll in the back, which is definitely a doll in the back and not a man in a suit, um, starts to come to life and move around until the old man is like, oh, wait, why am I sweating? I could just turn off my heating and open the window, uh, which makes the doll lie back down. What a worthwhile scene that was. I know, but uh, it, it, it does communicate to the audience that these all That the doll are, can come alive. Yeah. yeah. Through, the, through the method of, like, heat. It's heat activated. Yeah. Uh, the troll doll was actually recorded on video disc to make his movements jerky when played back at speed. Uh, the costume apparently arrived late, and it kept falling apart, so we had to constantly glue it together, meaning that Tommy Reynolds, who was in the suit, had to suffer by spelling glue fumes for the entire shoot, basically. Oh, which sounds well, I'm sure wonderful. he was having a good time. I'm sure he was having a good time. Like... Uh, the original idea for this troll was it would have been given away at the, to, as a prize to lucky winners at the fun fair. So it'd be like, um, it would be given towards people... And it would be used as a means to control the world, basically, to strangle people to death. Mm. Which, yeah, mm. that's why the carnival is here. And it's never brought up again, really. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, it, It's also a hideous-looking doll. Like, just the, the the outfit and the costume, it just it looks so bad. Apparently, these, apparently, these kind of troll dolls was given out to people back in, like, the 60s or 70s. It looks hideous, but I guess you know, it's I, a... I, I, th- I think that's the charm, I guess. Like, you know, some people like to get, like, ugly dolls because yeah. they are ugly, you know? You know, um, as a kid, we had physical, what they called trolls with a Z dolls, you know, those kind of dolls. Mm-hmm. And now they just rebooted trolls, but we made them look cute for some reason. You know, those two trolls movies... <laughs> Yes, yes. I, I, I don't understand why. It just re- defeats the purpose. <laughs> There's still ugly things out there. Like, you know, you can get, like, the pillows with, like, teeth and stuff in them. And, you know, people like to have weird-looking stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um. But, yeah, this is an instance of um, adding CGI into the, the, uh, the Blu-ray release where the troll doll moving is actually CGI, which does look pretty decent considering... Much better than the actual troll doll moving in the original yeah. shoot. <laughs> yeah, interesting. That's that's a I guess a cool idea. So the episode continues as the master is like, "I'm going to send the doctor to the circus so he can explode," um, <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. The doctor goes to the circus, and we see some 
awful animal abuse as yeah. there is a man yeah. making elephants dance and he's got a giant whip and it's disgusting and it, it's honestly it upsets me quite a bit like yeah. it, you know who else it upsets it upset katie manning quite a bit uh, doctor magazine from the 90s says that katie manning enjoyed her day immensely which was a complete fucking lie because in reality she was horrified because of the treatment of the animals uh, so john pertwee decided to cheer up katie by making up voices of the animals and saying how happy they were to be there, which is weird. <laughs> I don't know that, how I feel yeah, about that. That. <laughs> that, that is strange. But yeah, no, circuses using animals yeah. is... It's awful. It's genuinely disgusting. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's... Oh my god. It, yeah. yeah. And also, you know, this episode is kind of a commercial for the circus, which is mm-hmm. weird. <laughs> Which you know, I don't, I, I, I enjoy the circus. Like yeah. you know, when I was, a, when I was a kid in school, because I am a super cool dude, I <laughs> went to a club that taught circus performance. You know, you I, I, I did stilt walking. I did juggling. I, you know, I did all that stuff, and it was great. It's so much fun, but the forcing an animal to do it is not fun. Yeah. That's just cruelty. You know, it's like. It's, it's the same idea of using animals in film. It's totally okay to use an animal in film as long as you're not hurting that animal. And this yeah. is something that the 1970s really, really sucks with, you know, because you could be like w- like creating the most amazing art film ever, but in your film, you're like, and a frog explodes. That's cool. You could fake a frog exploding. You have no reason to actually explode a frog because a frog does not give a crap about your movie you're making. It does not know what a movie is. You're just blowing up a frog. Like yeah. it's, I, 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 you know, it's it's awful. It's complete. Just it's it's just not considering these animals to be beings that have feelings. You know, it's it's yeah. seeing them as lesser and just like tools to be used. It it really upsets me. But you know, at least Doctor Who is treating the animals more fairly than, you know, a production like Milo and Otis. Have you ever heard of Milo and Otis? I've not, no. Um Milo and Otis was a Japanese movie about a cat and a dog. And there were oh, numerous good. allegations Stop of cra- animal cruelty made against the movie makers. Um, claims from crew members that 20 or so kittens were killed during the filming. So yeah, it's an infamous movie for that oh. reason, which is oh. yikes. <laughs> yeah, there was a movie that I watched. Um, it, was a, it was a genuinely very good movie, but there were parts of it that really, really, really annoyed me. Um Oh god, I don't remember what it was called, but it's it, the Quest for the Holy Mountain or something. It's like a 1970s art film. It's like a psychedelic trip movie. Uh, but in it, they they do blow up frogs in that movie, and Oof. they even have dogs. They even have they make dogs fight, and it, it oh oh my yeah. god, it it really annoyed me. Like <laughs> I recently watched Dumbo because uh, the Talking Simpsons crew, uh, what cartoon did a review of Dumbo and. The whole mm-hmm. movie is about how animal abuse is bad, I think. I don't remember Dumbo that well. I just watched it like a month ago. Barely remember the movie. Yeah. There's no plot. But Dumbo's mum dies, and that's a heartbreaking scene, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, when yeah. was the last time you went to the circus, by the way? I, I The... Like, I went to the circus a few times as a kid. Uh, I don't remember the exact time. I must have been maybe 11 or 12 years yeah. old. Because it was... I, I, the one time I remember clearly, I went with my dad. Uh, so, like, it was, like, the only time I've really seen him in my life was when I was, like, 11, 12. So, uh, I remember, and I remember being at the circus. And for whatever reason, 
And, like, I, I don't know, because, like, even as a kid and I was sitting there, I was like, this isn't that funny. Why am I laughing so much? But there were, like, whenever the clowns were out and they were doing stuff, I was dead. Like, I was in <laughs> complete stitches. And I, I had no idea why I was finding it funny. I was like, I, nobody else is really laughing as much as I am. Like, I am, like, in tears of laughter. And I had no idea what came over me. But they just, the clowns just clicked. I just loved it. Like, it was a great time uh, I, 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 ha- I almost had the exact opposite experience the last time i went to the circus <laughs> i was probably like 12 and a clown yeah. i was i was like in the front row with my mom and my nana and i was i was a clown mm. i basically shook was trying to shake hands with me and i was fucking terrified of this clown for whatever reason <laughs> like i was thinking the clown wanted me to go out and you know tightrope or something i was mm. so terrified go out and go- no yeah. reason <laughs> he just wanted a handshake or something <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified. Yeah, no, it's... I, I, I really like the spectacle of, like, the circus, you know, especially because they, like, you know, big tent, you get the lights and the people doing the trapeze. Like, it's it's amazing to watch. Um, I do not know where the nearest circus is or when it is, like, or if yeah. there's even a circus still coming around to these parts. It's been yeah. so long since i even seen a flyer for one, you know? It used to be all the time at Aberdeen Beach, mm-hmm. but I'm, again, I'm not sure if it happens anymore. I'm not sure. I don't yeah. remember when... I guess, guess we have no to go idea. to the circus next time we see... We should, to town. yeah. We should go. Next next time it comes to town, we should go to the circus. It'd be a great time. I love it. I'd love it. I genuinely would go. That'd be great. Let's <laughs> like, go. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, but then we cut to uh, old people in a house, and it sucks. They're just talking about how much they hate the doll, uh, and nothing really happens. Don't worry about them. Um, Fucking we cut back to the. House. It is all. It's so. It's so 1970s, isn't it? <laughs> um, we cut back to the circus, and the doctors flagged the uh, master's TARDIS. He's like, "Oh boy, I, I that's a TARDIS for sure." Uh, but before he can go inside it, he gets captured by the big wig dude in charge of the circus and the strongman of the circus, uh, who's called to- Tony. Yeah, Tony. Tony. Um, yeah. yeah. One thing we should mention, he's black and he's a strong, silent type, which is... Uh, we were complimenting Doctor Who on its on its casting of a black actor just last month, you know? But yeah. That mm-hmm. woman did really well in that role, and it was a proper role, meaty role. And mm-hmm. here, Tony is just a nobody, just a strong, silent, yep. kind of obedient slave. And he was in Tomb of the Cybermen as Toberman, a strong, obedient, silent slave. So, <laughs> what are your yep. thoughts on this? Yep. Uh, you know, probably the same as everybody's disappointment, but not shocked. Uh, yeah. I, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad, I am glad that they hired him again. I'm glad that he yeah. got paid. I'm glad that he got work. I'm glad he got to be on television. <laughs> I am annoyed they didn't give him anything to do. Yeah. You know? Like, not even a line. Not even a line of dialogue. In Tomb of the Cybermen, he at least gets a somewhat of an arc where he gets brainwashed by the Cybermen. And then at the end, he kind of fights the brainwash. And he kind of defeats... Mm-hmm. You remember that scene where he... I think he holds up a Cybermen above his head or something. And he throws it to the ground. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. But, um, 
so I did some research on this actor, and he actually had an interesting life. Uh, this is Roy Stewart. Uh, he was born in 1925 in Jamaica. He came to Britain in the 40s to study to, to become a doctor, but he wound up doing theatre work where he realised there weren't really any black stunt people in the industry. He wound up opening this multiracial gym in 1954, and one of the regulars at this gym, uh, one of the regular bodybuilders, was David Prowse. Does that name ring a bell? I feel like it should, but it's not. Uh, think Star Wars. <laughs> okay, I'm thinking about Star Wars. <laughs> he is Darth. He is a guy in Darth Vader's suit. Ah, right. Okay. He is Darth Vader, and this is another connection to Star Wars. Last month we had another connection to Star Wars, which is interesting. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he also opened a nightclub during the, 70, during the 60s or 70s, and Jimi Hendrix, Van Morrison, and Bob Marley were frequent customers, which is cool as Ooh. hell. He also owned yeah. a Caribbean restaurant in London for 40 years till his death in 2008 Jesus. at the age of 83. Uh, Damn, this, this was a busy man. Yeah. Uh, this restaurant is still open to this day, and it's called The Globe. It's one of the longest-running nightclubs in London, which is an incredibly successful life for this man he sounds cool yeah that's cool that's super cool he does sound like a super cool dude you know he saw he saw a huge gap in the market and grabbed that opportunity exactly you know and that's why i wanted yeah. to do i wanted to do some research in this dude he sounded interesting as hell and you know it's a shame i don't think he ever did like any documentaries on or interviews on any of the doctor who dvds or anything like that it's a shame mm -hmm. he didn't do that yeah, it sounds like a really interesting man for sure. Uh, it's cool that his like restaurant slash club thing is still open. That's a yeah. neat thing. Um, we should go. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> I, I, I hate clubs. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I'm glad you agree. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the doctor's getting interrogated by this dude, and really, there's, there's not any substance here. It's just you know the guy being like, "Ah, oh, I'm here to stop you doing what you're doing, doctor." And the doctor's like, "I could bribe you." And the guy's like, "You've got no money, lol." Uh, and Joe's in like a Joe's in a green screen, being like, "I'm going to save the doctor." And the brigadier's like, "No, you're not. You're a woman." Uh, it, <laughs> Basically, <yeah>. legit. <laughs> I, I, I do like the one moment where the doctor's like, "My name is John Smith." On the uh, ringleader's yeah. like, "That's the most made-up name ever." Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. like, nobody has ever called like, the doctor on John Smith before. Yeah, but John Smith is also a super common name, you know. Yeah, but it's also a really so. fake name. <laughs> it's like calling your character Jane Doe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but we cut back to the old people every now and then uh, as this is happening. And oh my god, just, uh, sorry, I paused it on the uh, the kitchen scene, which is just fantastic. Um, <laughs> the uh, and the, you know the old people are like, oh, this doll's awful. Whatever, I'm gonna go make myself a cup of coffee. Uh, and she goes into the quote unquote kitchen. Um, the the like the house the like main room is like an actual set but everything else is green screen yeah. and then the doll comes to life in some spectacular green screen it all looks really well everything is aged perfectly in this episode uh and it I, strangles the old man um yeah, I'm, I'm sorry i just hilariously paused, I, I just paused at a moment where if you look outside the window it's just green they forgot to chroma key it amazing amazing <laughs> so yeah but that one shot of the woman in the kitchen wasn't needed and it's so distracting no not at all like he, she could have yeah. just been across the room or something i don't know it's so yeah. strange <laughs> oh my god I, yeah i see the the green outside the window yeah. that's amazing uh <laughs> um 
but yeah the dog comes to life strangles the man it looks really bad it like yeah. the costume when it's moving looks straight up like the dude from in the night garden yeah i think um, his yeah i think his name is iggle Piggle <laughs> makapaka that's oh, who Mac- it reminds me of who like iggle piggles the blue okay. iggle piggles the blue guy okay iggle piggles the blue guy makapaka is the one that looks like this dude <laughs> um i but yeah I'm, god in the, in the night garden is such a fever of a kid <laughs> show like it's such a fever dream of a kid show but um, yeah this scene means nothing to us but apparently kids were fucking terrified like um barry let's got so many letters just saying my kids were scared to take for teddy bears to bed at night in case we strangled them <laughs> like what the fuck brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, but like, what? you know, kids like our generation, you know, we didn't grow up with the horror story of toys coming alive. We grew up with Toy Story. No, I mean, we grew you know, up, I was about to mention with Small Chucky soldiers. as well. Small Soldiers. Small Soldiers, yeah, yeah, Small Soldiers Small terrifying. Soldiers is a blast. Um, I love that movie so much. It is a great time. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good time. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tale of all time, Toys Coming Alive. But we cut back to the interrogation and it continues to be about nothing until the guy leaves and the doctor's like, oh, Tony, you don't say any words, do you? And then Joe knocks him out as, of course, Joe could take this dude on. Um, yeah. And, she, you know, she, she smashes you know, something over his head. But A five foot one woman can totally take care of like a six foot nine bodybuilder. Just a smack on the back of the neck. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> um but but we find out that the master's like spying on them with like a camera or whatever don't worry too much about it uh then there's an explosion um and one who dies who's the guy that explodes i, I i've lost the plot of who the characters are because i've so uh, yeah i there's there's so many and they're so bland but somebody dies and he's got like a key to uh is it a key? it's a key to the mask to no just any horse is that the master's one what the fuck is happening like no i'm <laughs> sorry, sorry. I've lost I, the plot completely I, th- I think it's the scientist guy who was an enemy of the yes world. it's the scientist the scientist explodes yes yeah um and and they go into the caravan thinking it's the master's caravan but it's not the master's caravan it's just a regular caravan which upsets all of the circus people who try to beat up the doctor and actually hit him yeah. uh, knocking him to the ground making joe scream and i was like oh my god the episode's gonna end no it's not it's gonna keep going don't worry about it um and there's like this really weird kerfuffle and it gets really weird to know where everybody is at this point like yeah. you kind of lose sense of what's going on but apparently the doctor and joe managed to get put into a car and like the car drives off and if you watch the one of the clowns like waves goodbye as yeah it's i don't know if it's the clown it's the guy in like the blue suit next to the clown he's like hang on oh no i see it he just kind of waves up <laughs> yeah, his arm <laughs> just he's like bye yeah <laughs> i guess that's just a bored <laughs> so- extra <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe he didn't uh, know the, the cameras were on <laughs> maybe but like my, i don't know maybe he just thought it'd be funny you know <laughs> um but it, and it was funny uh but then the doctor and joe wake up and they're definitely in the back of this car that's definitely driving um and you know they're like wait where's this car taking us uh hey driver are you can you show us your badge do you really work with uh you know, are you like a police officer? You work with the unit or whatever? And the guy turns around and the doctor's like, hang on, I'm going to rip off your face now. Uh, uh, <laughs> rips off his face to reveal uh, Auton and this is where the episode ends with a really lackluster scream from Joe. Like, Joe goes yeah. like, ah, 
<laughs> oh no ah god that's scary uh and then, and then the credits roll it's this is a garbage episode this yeah. episode sucks so hard like <laughs> yeah out of the three I, stories we've covered this is the most generic doctor who episodes so far this year yeah yeah this episode i'm not i am not into this story at all yeah. yet you know may, maybe parts three and four will change my mind i've not seen them yet but somehow i doubt that like <laughs> Yeah. Uh, for our first introduction to the master, it's a bit lackluster, you know, because yeah. I remember being a kid finding this video in like a charity shop. I got it for like two pounds and I was so excited. It was the first episode with the master in it. And I put it on in my in my uh, video player. And I'm just like, huh, I guess this is it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> yeah, it's not good at all. It was... <laughs> slow in all the wrong yeah. places funny for all the wrong reasons yeah. like it, it's weirdly it's, it, clunky as well it's just yeah. you don't you can't make heads or tails what's going on it's a bit of a weird edit i'm not sure what's it's very strange it's yeah i'm just i'm not a fan of this story i'm not a fan of the story so far which you know to be fair the autons themselves are kind of a boring villain yeah i think i i think you can do something cool with them but there's a reason they've only been in one episode of new who yeah you know and you know the the master isn't really doing much here apart from killing people who just keep on entering the room (laughs) it's basically what he's doing it's oh god this episode was so bad i'm so uh, glad that it's over i'm so glad I'm, honestly i'm so glad i don't have to talk about these two episodes anymore uh, <laughs> the cliffhanger is decent apparently scotland yard complained mm-hmm. because the show was undoing all their efforts to persuade children to trust them you know the idea of just getting into a police car and then suddenly the policeman and he's a evil. robot yeah he's an evil plastic robot that's brilliant i'm, I'm uh, sure that must have scared i i understand about scaring kids you know the idea of this cliffhanger yeah th- this cliffhanger is much better than episode one's cliffhanger yeah but you know the rest of this episode is not good and the mo- all of episode one was not good and it's painful to sit through <laughs> at times like, uh speaking of painful sitting remember the couch <laughs> yeah yeah oh god i wish i was in that couch right now just murder me like, uh, what, what's your favorite part of the two episodes the effects <laughs> the special effects are my favorite part of the two episodes that's the standout for me that's the thing i want to talk about is how great the special effects are that's the best bit of it uh they are so much they're just funny they're just they like they allow you to have some fun in the episode <laughs> that otherwise like if those bad blue screen wasn't here this episode would be 10 times worse <laughs> like um, my favorite part is obviously gotta be the master. I am entranced every time mm. he is on screen because he's he just oozes charisma. He is so perfect in this role, and I just love mm-hmm. him. I, he is still the best master to me, hands down. He's good master. He's he's not my favorite, uh, you know, but he is he is definitely very very good. Okay. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank. Uh, (laughs) next week we will be back as we look at parts three and four of the terror of the autons hopefully they're much better than parts one and two 
Uh, in the meantime, you can find this podcast in video form on youtube.com slash who watches who pod. Uh, I'm waving at the camera right now. It's also available in audio form wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a lot of links in the description so that you can find everything you need. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at who watches who on Twitter at watches doctor. And you can send us an email at who watches who pod at gmail.com. Uh, send us an email telling us about your thoughts on this episode on your thoughts on doctor who, uh, in general, or leave a comment down below on either our Facebook pages or on our youtube and we will be sure to read them out at the end of the month in our news roundup podcast you can find me on twitter at cloth223 and until next week bye bye